Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call. Get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Well, baseball isn't boring in large part because of excellent, excellent, excellent pitchers who are, who really have inspired a lot of young pitchers coming up. And one person that falls under that umbrella is Billy Wagner, um, a guy who I voted for the Hall of Fame, and we're going to get to that in a second. But first of all, man, what a thrill it is to talk to you, Billy. Uh, so good to hear from you. I covered you briefly. Like when I say briefly, I mean briefly <laughs> with the Red Sox. But uh, but it's, yeah. it's good to hear from you. How you doing? I'm great. I really appreciate you having me on here. Uh, you know, uh, great opportunity, and it's always great to talk baseball. All right. Well, okay. So in case people uh, are not familiar with your work, which if you aren't, then you aren't following baseball, but we're here to educate and, and entertain. Uh, so I am going to go down some of the list of your credentials. And this, I'm going to cite Cooperstown Cred for this, which is – a great website when it comes to giving sort of the pros and cons of each uh, Hall of Fame uh, member or or candidate. So here we go. So you have Houston Astros. And correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, Billy, but I don't think I am. Uh, Astros, 95 to 2003. Phillies, 2004 to 2005. Mets, 2006 to 2009. The aforementioned half a year with the Boston Red Sox in 2009, and then the Braves 2010. 422 career saves, sixth most all-time, career 231 ERA, second best in the last 100 years to Mariano Rivera. I think people might know who he is. Uh, 187 adjusted ERA plus. That is also second best all-time Major League history to Rivera. Career 11.9 strikeouts per nine innings. That is the best in MLB history. Career 0.998 whip. Per, that's obviously walks per hits for nine innings. Second best in MLB history is somebody may named Addy Joss. And seven-time All-Star, which is always nice to go to the All-Star game. So in case you were woke up this morning, Billy, feeling down about yourself, I'm here to build you up. There you go. You should feel pretty good about things. Already walking on clouds. <laughs> All right, so... 
Uh, of all the things that I mentioned, like obviously, you know, this is what we do. This we go through sort of the candidacies and and the the credits and the accomplishments. Of all the things individually, because I I know you're a team guy, but individually, of all these numbers, maybe I rattle off or anything else, what is the thing that you sort of hang your hat on the most that you're like, okay, you know what, that's pretty dang good. Well, I tell you, you know, I think uh, uh, batting, slugging against, batting average against. I mean, if you're, you know, when you're dominant, people aren't getting on base. Period. Uh, ERA can be. It can be suspect. Uh, it, it, you know, I think it's, you know, subscribe. I, I think it's, you can, you can, I, well, I'll take my, my playoff, the RA of a thousand <laughs> or a million, whatever. <laughs> it, you know, in, in, in that, you know, it, it looks awful and it is awful, but I'm three for four in save opportunities and I'm one and one. Mm-hmm. So the whole point is, you know, you can you can describe what's important and what's not important with those numbers. But when when you talk about being dominant, we all have, you know, anybody that's even in a discussion of Hall of Fame or anything like that, and you talk about dominance, yeah, everybody has a different, you know, way of being dominant. I mean, Mariano, you know, everybody knew what Mariano was going to throw. I think Trevor with his changeup was phenomenal. I mean, it's just but I mean when you go out there and you go hey he's striking out 33% of the guys that he faces and you know I think there's numbers that you're just like wow well, you know those are those are numbers when, when they are brought up to me that I'm like you know because you don't you, you know as a professional athlete you get you become one of two things you you, you really become uh, very egotistical about uh, your how good you are or you're you're, you're kind of just you, you just don't pay attention to that. And I was not one to really pay attention to the, uh, I, I never thought I was good enough to be, to, to think about my stats. I was, I grew up about, Hey, you, you just, you never talk about your stats. You never look at your stats. You, those aren't things. If you're not winning, you're a loser. And so, I mean, uh, you didn't celebrate those things. I mean, there was so many things that, but now living on the backside and being able to kind of smell the roses, as they say, you know, being able to look at those stats. I mean, those are some that for me, you know, if I, if that wasn't me and I was looking at, you know, and that was somebody else, I'd be like, wow, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So you, you, you talk about going through sort of your career and not, feeling like you're, you're worrying about winning. You're worrying about getting guys out. When did the Hall of Fame thing come on your radar? Was it was it till after you retired, or was it toward the end of your career? When did the sort of, hey, you know what, I might have a chance at this? Well, I tell you, you know, the biggest, you know, always wanted to go to the Hall of Fame. I mean, that, I, what kid doesn't? I mean, what kid doesn't want to stand on that podium and look behind him and see the greatest of the greats, you know, and I think something that really spurred me was when I was in, I played in the uh, 1998 uh, All-Star game uh, in Boston, and you walk out the 100 greatest players to ever play, and you're looking at, you know, Sandy Koufax, Robin uh, Roberts, you're, you're looking at some of the greatest of greats, you know, Ted Williams rolls out there, <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, who doesn't want to be part of that? I mean, those are things for me that, you know, I I liked that. I liked wanting that, but I was one of those to be very apprehensive about talking about it or looking at it because it was like that uh, kiss of death. And so, you know, uh, I mean, I I wanted to go out there and I knew that, you know, 
I had to do my job. I, I never worried about who was on my team but in the bullpen. I mean, I had some of the greatest relievers ever to be with me, and but I never, I wanted to, I wanted to win. Mm. And when you when you want to win, you don't the numbers don't work because as a when you're a good player, you know when you're good and you know when you're not good. Mm. And so you you don't really need the uh, you don't need the pats and rubs to 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 know that. I mean, when I was bad, I stood there and took it. When I was when I was good, I was able to get out of the locker room a lot easier. So, <laughs> um, but those are that's just that. But you know, I think I always want to be that. You know, Nolan Ryan was somebody I always looked up to. How he how he went about his business and being able to play with guys with such uh, tremendous ability like Randy Johnson, um, Pedro Martinez, Tom Glavin, um, having those guys on the team to kind of watch them and, and to pitch behind, along with playing with a bag one, a Biggio, and countless numerous guys that I, you know, played against. Uh, you know, I think you know that that's always been something. I, I mean, I literally, when I had the chance to go to New York, that was part of that. You know, we're at a part of my career. Where I'm like, hey, you know, this is this is the next, you know, place to go. If you can win in New York, you can win anywhere, and you can really kind of make your make your bed in that and so uh that was that was part of you know that whole transition you know going from houston to philly in a trade and then then i finally have a decision where i can go that was you know but that that mindset of hey you know you got to put yourself in a situation where you can win Mm -hmm. and and if you're able to do it in a big market then it it, it's only better well well, all of that you know and, and that's the thing is that you do it in a big market you have the numbers and by the way, you're pretty dominant all the way through. Like I, Billy, like one of the things about Ortiz last year when he got in, I said one of the things that I thought helped him was that he uh, he was people remembered his last year. That that was the last impression that they have of him. And and for you, it's the same way. I mean, you were you were good up until the end, and then. But I think that obviously we know, and this is where we sort of start picking through this. L- ludicrous nature, I think, of how you know Hall of Fame voting has gone. But you know, I think that at the time that you first became a, a Hall of Fame eligible guy, it was a different perspective, maybe a little bit of the relief pitchers, because because they should have they should have viewed it the exact same way they viewed David Ortiz, which is look at this guy was dominant from stem to stern. And so when you got that that first round of votes, like, did it surprise you? Did it surprise you the way that things were going? Well, I'll be honest with you. It's just like your first trade. Mm. It really is. When when I got my first trade, I was so frustrated and so immature and didn't know what I was what I was seeing or handling it. Um, and so I remember when the Hall of Fame. You know, I really didn't even know anything about the Hall of Fame. I, I didn't even know when it started or anything. But you know, all of a sudden you get something in the mail and it shows that you're on the ballot. And so I'm looking at it, and so, you know, all of a sudden my kids are, you know, at that point I'm coaching my oldest son in high school. And so, you know, it's a big deal. Everybody's talking about it because, you know, and then, you know, all of a sudden the one thing that you can't control is is very prevalent. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot control what people say. Mm-hmm. And so it was very hard to, 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 to hear the, the negativism from from people about me and because all I could do I'd already done there's no words I could say there's no coming out in the press going you know this is 
you know, what it is and this is unfair. You know, it, it didn't matter. And so, you know, it, it was it was tough the first couple of years to see that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm probably not going to get very much. Uh, I'm probably not going to have a chance here. I'm probably going to be off the pallet here for long. And then uh, I remember Reed Ryan, Nolan's son, and I were talking. He goes, he goes, you just got to be patient. Mm. He goes, he goes, people, people will figure it out. Uh, Jesus Ortiz from Houston, who's been tremendous supporter of mine with uh, Richard Justice and guys down in in uh, Houston. They, they, he's done a lot of lobbying for my behalf. But they were like, hey, you know, give it time. You know, you got to work through a lot of stuff. You had Clemens, you had Bonds, you had a lot of things going on at that time. He goes, you just gotta, you know. You know, just stay the course and, you know, just try not to do anything stupid. <laughs> and, you know, so, uh, you know, but that, you know, uh, and so that, with that, I, I really, you know, I dove into coaching because of, you know, loving, loving the game, but, and, and, and enjoying giving back. But it also took my mind off of what else was going on around me and so you know I, I quit worrying about that and there was times I didn't even know what was going on my kids would come and go hey dad you know this happened I, I mean last year when there was a big jump in in the uh the percentages I, I had no idea you know I, my kids go well man you, you made a big jump then you started getting a little people were talking a little bit more but you know I'm just stayed busy with with that and it's to 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 some degree it's been a good thing yeah but you know I think it's you know, and and so last year was my first year of voting for the Hall of Fame, um, off because you know it's a whole other story. Um, but but you know this. Not put it this way: this uh, the Baseball Writers Associated isn't perfect in a lot of ways. It's fine. But um, so I had to reset. Last year was my first year of voting. So now the one thing that I wanted to do, Billy, when I did it was I saw when I was watching from afar, I saw how. Some people weren't clearly putting in the time and effort to look at things or clearly making their votes on things that shouldn't matter. And and when it comes to, and, you know, I'm a big ballot guy. Last year I voted for 10. I voted for you. Uh, this year I voted for eight. I voted for you. And um, and I'm up for debate, you know, and it, what's interesting is, is that the f- part of the fun of it is looking into like all the things that all the things that are intricate about these these votes, um, and I and I like you said like I, maybe like coaching is is a good distraction, but you, you now you see also you see the all the all the things that were said early on. I would imagine you get a whole lot more attaboys, including by the way from our guy Shoeless Joe Jackson, the only guy, <laughs> the only guy Shoeless Joe voted for in the ballot reveal. But it must feel good though that people are starting to take a little bit deeper dive into this, and this is why your vote total is going up. It does. It, it does feel good. I, I, I mean, I think not just for me per se, but I mean for a, a, a Rodriguez and for a Kimbrell and for because those are guys that are very dominant. And, uh, Kenley Jensen, guys that are down the road, you know, have been so important to our game and to the league and to, to the growth. And I mean, there is, I mean, I think, I think, uh, there was a, a writer, I won't say his name, but he talked about how, you know, and I, I wasn't very good when it really mattered. And so, and I thought that was funny. I was like, well, for 422 times, I had to be good, <laughs> and it did matter, because if you don't get those saves, 
those don't matter. And when I had safe opportunities in, in a postseason, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at 75%, three out of four. I mean, when it didn't matter, it was good. And when, you know, those are, so, you know, it, it is, you know, objectively looked at about when is it important, when are you good, because if you watch TV and, and a bullpen just melts down and you don't play good and the closer blows a save, I mean, you know, are the Yankees the Yankees if Mariano isn't there? Mm. I mean, I, I mean, we can play that, you know, cat and mouse game. But, I mean, those, it's, I think, you know, how you view guys, I mean, there's relievers that are that definitely should be viewed differently. I think they're, you know, uh, set-up guys, oh, my gosh. I mean, a closer can't be a closer if she doesn't have guys who get him the ball. And, I mean, if you're dominant in the seventh and eighth, those are, are important innings. And a lot of games that, that the game is – won and lost in those innings. But, I mean, you know, I think if you play professional baseball, you have longevity, there is a, a way to be dominating. Mm. And when you're dominating, it, you know, it doesn't matter what part you set in that team. I mean, um, you know, I watched today, and there's just guys that are, I mean, same thing guys going 103 miles an hour. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's guys that just put up crazy stats. And I, I think that... You know, um, you know, players should be viewed for their dominance for what they do. Because, you know, it's funny. I talked to, to Goose Gossage, and, you know, no way would Goose ever agree with, you know, how he closes compared to how I closed. Mm. And that's and that's okay. And I'm, totally, I'm like, because I'm a huge Goose fan. I love Goose. Why? Because, like, because of the multiple inning thing? Or is that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, you know what? My first save was three inning save. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, my, I had a couple when I was early. That those that was the norm. And when you're when you're groomed like that, that's 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 a common thing. You don't even think a thing about it. But then Eckersley comes along, and you know he he makes it a one inning thing, and you know, I, I mean, he made it sexy. Eckersley mm-hmm. made that a sexy role. You know, and I mean, you look at Bruce Suter and these guys, Raleigh and guys like that. You can't compare today for, to yesterday. There's no way. There's, but error to error, there is. There's specific marks in that in each error that you've got guys that are are incredibly dominating. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think the Hall of Fame will be a lot different in ten years than it was, you know, 15 years ago to, to this time because, I mean, starting pitchers won't have innings or wins or strikeouts. I mean, you won't have those guys with, you know, the Verlander numbers. I mean, he's one of very few that may even have a chance to, to get some of the numbers like they got, like a, that are in the Hall of Fame now. I mean, you know, it, that's crazy to think that, mm. you know, but, you know, it, you know, it, it's just, it's the different era. And I think we as, you know, society need to see who's dominating in different roles and, and successful. Numbers don't really lie, mm. but you can manipulate them to, to, to make guys better or worse. Right. No, and and the you the word that you've used multiple times which I think is important is dominant. And and so, you know, I look at this, I want to see a Hall of Famer be dominant. You were dominant. There's no question about it. You know, for a long time like I, for the position players, I tried to use 
the the numbers were going to be all over the place. You had sort of the '90s, which is going to be different than Jim Rice's era. And but I looked at top ten, top fifteen, and MVP voting because that shows you that a guy was dominant amongst his peers. Um, so I think that that's where it has to start, Billy. Like you have to look at it as. Were you dominant in your time? And clearly you were. Um, and then, and I can't be a hypocrite at the same time, is that since I've been doing this in the last couple of years, I've probably taken a deeper dive into things. And this is where I came up with Scott Rowland. You know, Scott Rowland, who has a good, really good chance of getting in this year, I voted for him, but I'm being hypocritical because he wasn't a top 10 MVP guy. But he had, he go, if you go by war, which I think has value. Like you go by war, he's a Hall of Famer, overall war. And he's a really, really good player. And maybe like it's a good example of how you can you can factor in defense a little bit more than he did before. But uh, but I still, for me, it all begins with dominance. And, and that's what you were. Um, and I think that's where we should start. I mean, it's, there's no question about it. Yeah, I think it's just the, the combination of what what that really means. I remember, what was it, 08, we were sit, I was sitting in the uh, sitting in the White House with one of uh, George Bush's had a uh, dinner, and he had all right after the All Star Game in Yankee Stadium, and I go down and I'm I'm sitting in there with a bunch of people I I, I know I don't know, and you know of course people are talking about the Hall of Fame, which you know I, I don't realize how I'm that I'm not. I'm not in that game right there. So just listening to guys talk about the Hall of Fame and their perspective and what this means and uh, how 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 the game is played. I think, you know, I love the discussion of what that means and stuff. I think it's just weird when there's no descriptive numbers to tell you where that begins and where that ends. Like, like to me, saves... I mean, you you have to have longevity to have saves, right? Now, but but you can't you you have no control of saves. Uh, you know, guys are Mariano and Trevor, and guys are going out and getting fifty five, sixty opportunities, and you're you're getting forty. You can't get the numbers. And that's just the, the numerical fact. Mm-hmm. But I think, but you have to do control what you can control, and and you know, and so. I think that's a that's a stat that really is, you know, misleading. Because mm. you know, I mean, you can't get saves that you don't have opportunities for, and so that those are misleading stats. But I think the, the stats that show dominance, you know, is uh, on base percentage, slugging, you know, strikeouts per nine innings, uh, you know, and I think. You know, I watched Rob Nan, and Rob Nan to me was probably one of the nastiest pitchers I've ever. I hadn't a bat off of him, and it was <laughs> the, one of the greatest experiences of my life. And and I'm Eddie Thompson's he's catching, and I'm I, I look back and I go, Hey Eddie, hey hey, come here, don't have him throw me a slider because everybody talks about how awesome this slider. Is. <laughs> that slider. And I literally about crapped myself, but I was like, oh, my God, that was so awesome. I said, Eddie, I'm not swinging. I am not swinging. I promise you I'm not swinging. But, I, I mean, you get what? You know, and that's another thing. Some of the things that really mean so much to me is when you look around and a guy like Nolan Ryan goes, hey, one of the best fastballs I ever saw was Billy Wagner. Or mm-hmm. Derek Jeter gives you that compliment. Or, you know, those are things that, to me, 
you know, when you talk about dominance, those are people that know what dominance means. And so, you know, being able to, to hear those things and, you know, I think your peer groups now, I, you know, I wasn't probably the most liked person in the clubhouse and I, and it wasn't because I, it's just, I was just about business. It wasn't about, you know, I didn't have a hate relationship to anybody, but I liked, I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, that's, that's what, you know, I didn't want to make excuses. I didn't want to talk about why things didn't happen. I just, I mean, when I didn't do good. I just, I sucked. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very good and I got to do better. But I think, you know, and I mean, that was that old school. I remember Nolan Ryan getting jumping all over me one time about talking to another player. Mm. I mean, you know, that was the way it was back then. I mean, you didn't fraternize. You didn't do those things. You weren't, you know, you, you know, you, that's how it was. And so that was a new, that, that was part of that new transitional area where everybody was friendly and fraternizing out on the field and high-fiving their buddies and hugging in center field and, you know, they, they, the game has changed and, and and evolved so much. But you know that you know I was coming through that point where there was starting to get to that transition, and so it was a it was a different hmm. you know uh, era for me. When I mean, you go out there. I mean, Sandy Koufax comes out when I'm in. I, I punch out. I think seven out of nine guys in with the Dodgers, and the next morning I walk out to the field, and you know, here's Sandy Koufax talking. Kofax hollers at me and tells me, hey, you know, you're doing that wrong. You're pitching wrong. Oh, really? What? <laughs> I mean, you know, that, but that's the freedom they they had. And you know what? I never, not one time did I go, Sandy, what do you know? I mean, I, I was so flattered that he would sit there and tell me that I wasn't very doing it the right way. He never said I wasn't good. He just, but I mean, I, I, when I go on to find out, you know, I, I, I have Tommy John, and I'm down in Port St. Lucie Rehab, and guess who comes and spends a week with me? There's Sandy Koufax. Wow. He's down there. So, I mean, you know, those are guys who play a role in my life and credibility because when you hear uh, when you hear that the, the Phil Necro or the the Bruce Suter go, hey, you could have played with us. Mm-hmm. You were, you could have, you could, that's when you go, well, you know what, regardless of what happens, you telling me that I could have played with you guys because I looked up to you guys. I mean, those were, you know, I, I like that. That, to me, is the credibility and, and stuff. I, I mean, I like that. Mm. I mean, that was that old way of thinking. You know, and you, you talked about saves, and there's only so much you can do, and I agree with you. I mean, saves are nice, and this is sort of one of the reasons why, you know, closers like who were chasing the Hall of Fame back in the I know a couple, I'm not saying you, but other guys are like, hey, I know I need saves because they're going to look at saves, and that's going to be the be-all, end-all. But I remember in that brief time you were in Boston, and I, I think I told you this the other day, if, if, I, if I had to pay $5 every time I used an example, you'd be even richer than you are because I've used you – you gave me a perspective which I thought was so telling because it was the whole – you know, you came in, Papelbon was there, and you talked about the difference between the eighth inning and ninth inning. And um, he said this is – there was a difference. There, there was a difference. There was – hitters approached it differently – Umpires approach it differently. You know, uh, pitchers approach it differently. It was just different. And because that was, I think, the first time that you, in a long time, that you had to sort of experience that. Um, and I'm saying this because I think this is a, should be a feather in the cap of anybody who pitches in the ninth inning these days. Whereas we're devaluing it, saying, oh, you know, our best guy's coming in the seventh inning. I, I don't know if you agree, still agree, but I still think that getting those final three outs is probably a little bit different. 
Oh, well, I'll tell you right now, you ask any closer with any longevity how many times there was somebody warming up for him, you know, when he was battling through an, an inning. You know, it, they, not many, not many. And when that, that, that coach made that walk of shame out there to pick you up, oh, <laughs> That, that was that was a that's gut wrenching, but I mean, there it is it is different. It is different. There's a rush. There's an adrenaline. The that's the, that's the end all say all. If you're out there and pitching, these these the hitters have to you have to attack. You have to be on offense. And once you are, you make the hitter defensive. All of a sudden, the game changes for you. It's a little bit different. And when you walk out of that that. Uh, bullpen and they look up and they go oh crap here comes Wagner he's got a he's got a low ERA high strike yes let me tell you something they know that I'm pounding strikes and I'm coming at you and I now they have to focus a little different where you know the guy you come in there in the eighth and I mean and that was a luxury I had so many times where you had hotel and Lidge to, to walk in in front of you I mean they were going to shut it down and get get you the ball you know you had some really really good guys in front of me to help me to get the that point but i mean that that really you know shuts the door down i mean pat's going out there in the ninth and you know you know his numbers everybody knew what he was bringing you're no secret but but there's an intensity to what they the hitter has to to deal with and there's there's a you know you you just you don't have that sit back and wait opportunity you, mm-hmm. you might have it in the seventh and eighth uh but you, you don't have it in the in the ninth Hmm. So what what do you make of how bullpens are being used these days? Uh, there's still closers, obviously, you know, and you know, but it almost feels like teams feel like they they are morphing to you have to have two closers. And I know that there was sort of that the, the, the use the the most prevalent example like Wetland Rivera going back in the day, you had two closers, but now I think that the way they look at it isn't even necessarily the eighth as a setup guy. They're looking at it. All right, we're gonna bring in our 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 closer guy, our one closer guy in the seventh because we're gonna hit the meat of the order then, and then we're gonna hit the other closer guy in the ninth. Um, what's your perspective of of how bullpens are being used now? Well, I, I, I think it goes back to your dominance. You know, as as a if I'm a professional, and I'll take you know. Yeah, let me take the Phillies because I was just on talking with the Phillies about uh, Kimbrel, mm-hmm. you know, and they were talking about Robbie Thompson was talking about being situational and, and stuff like it. The whole goal is to win baseball games. It's it's not about how sexy you can be; it's about winning baseball games. And so, it, you know, the worst probably thing was ever invented was somebody going, "You're a closer, you're a setup man." You know, the title of being a reliever changes that if you if your color change then then nobody cares when you're used the, the closer uh you know closes the inning out so you know if they want to create that about winning then i think then i think you throw all that up but i mean today's game i mean you're starting relievers in world series games i mean mm-hmm. I, I mean i was almost i've never i've never seen that along with anybody else i mean you might have a long man that starts in the world series because You've had some long games, but or you know extra inning games and things like that. But I've never seen it where, oh, we're going to start this uh, one inning guy to start the game, and then we're going to then we're going to work backwards to our starter. You know, I you, I mean, it's the game has evolved in a lot of ways, and you know, uh, in some ways, you know, you know, it works. I mean, but but you know, it's not traditional baseball, and 
you know, for traditionalists like myself, you know, everybody's looking at it going, well, why would you do that? You know, mm. it's, it's different, but you know, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with exploring these things and seeing how it works. I mean, if it works, it's all about winning baseball. I mean, to have two closers, I, you know, I mean, do you really take out, is Mariano Rivera ever going to be taken out? After, I mean, Mariano's going to throw three days. You know, that, that, fourth, that, that fourth day, I guarantee Joe Torres going to go, how do you feel? I mean, you know, and there's, there's a point where that, that doesn't work like that. But, um, but I, I mean, you know, I think for a guy like a, a Kimbrel, who has established himself and going to get 400 saves here soon, you know, I mean, you got to allow him to be bad before you go, hey, right. we kind of got to do some stuff. I mean, to me, that, and I mean, if you're going out there and Kimball is the normal Kimball and he is just rolling and he's punching out everybody and he's, you know, like Kenley Jensen, if they're doing their job and they're doing it well, and you don't mess with success. Right. And, and you just don't mess with that. And it's also human nature. You know, you can say what we want of like, oh, well, you know, you should, hey, Craig Kimball, you should be able to pitch in the seventh inning. You should, you shouldn't matter to you. But, you know, it, you know, it, this is this is probably when we go back to I go back to the first time closer by committee was sort of thrown out there. Well, the problem was is that you know, Billy, like baseball players like routine. They like sort of knowing what they're going to do, and and that's just how it is. I mean, it's sometimes some guys can adjust, and guys other guys can't, and that's okay if they can't. They're all human beings, and they succeeded in doing it a certain way. So, no, I mean, and I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I think it's always about, you know, a routine. And when every, I mean, I mean, we are so, I, I would get to the field. I would leave to go to the field at most stadiums when I was playing. You know, I would be there before three o'clock. I mean, I'd be there probably at two o'clock, three o'clock, and at, and I wasn't pitching until 10 o'clock. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know. I, I mean, I'm there hours before. I mean, there's really no reason for me to be there, but it was my routine. I was there. And I mean, that five minutes that I might have to, to do something, with, I had to mentally make sure I was prepared. That was my thing. And everybody likes that routine. I, you know, I mean, listen to Trevor or Mariano or uh, these guys and how they go through their first five innings of a game. I mean, for me, I would I would come out and watch the first three innings on the bench with the team, and you know, I, I would feel no stress, and I would be just happy go lucky. And then I go in, and then I get stretched and rubbed down and freshened up. And then about the fifth inning, you know, sixth inning, I'm down the bullpen, and all of a sudden I'm stretching. I'm you know, and all of a sudden the butterflies and the nerves, and the, you're starting to you're starting to look at the the lineup card of okay, they're here. If this guy gets these three guys, this you know this set up for here, and then you know you're you're up by five, and then in the eighth you're up by four, and you're kind of going, well, how's this going to work? And so you got this high anxiety moments where you're like, I got to kind of be ready, but I, they may use this guy, you know, I don't know if, it, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, game on, it's three run, two run, one run lead, and you're in. And so when it's a safe situation, those are the easiest because you knew what you were going. You were looking at Lamb Crow going, well. This is who I got to face. This is where we're going to sit, and you you knew what you're up against. But it is you're, it's a routine. I mean, it's all about knowing what you've got coming at you, so you prepare. You can be prepared ahead of time, and that's why I was at the field early. That's why I'd get there, and you'd see Bagwell and Biggio at two o'clock. You'd see guys who 
you know, and it wasn't necessarily just to sit there and, and watch film. It was, hey, I got to make sure that I'm here. I got to make sure everything's set the way I need to. I got to, I've got to create lessons hiding and stuff like that for these moments. And so, you know, uh, a closer above anything loves a routine. And if I know what I've got, I'm, I'm good. It's the weird moments where you're sitting there and all of a sudden you <laughs> think you're not going to be in the game and then you are put in the game. I mean, I remember Larry Durker bringing me in Chicago in the sixth inning one time. Hmm. I mean, did you know you're coming in or was it out of the blue? Oh, it was out of the blue. I'd, I'd literally just walk down to, to, uh, in Wrigley down to the bullpen. I'm sitting there. Um, it was, was, well, I'll tell you, it was like two outs, uh, 0-2 count against, uh, Scott service. Hmm. I think that was who it was. And so I come in, you know, and he goes, he gets me up and, and, you know, which is kind of weird. And so, but I'm young enough and still dumb enough to just, Hey, it, it is what it is. Right. You know, I'm not <laughs> thank you closer set up, but I get thrown in. So, well, he, so enough, he walks out, calls time, brings me in. I got O2 count on Scott service. Hmm. Well, you know, what do you, you, you got, there's a guy on second, maybe a guy on third. I can't remember, but he, you know, he brings me in and, you know, I mean, what you would think the odds are in my favor yeah. because, you know, so I come in there and first pitch I throw, like, you know, of course I'm going to throw a fastball. <laughs> I mean, so you really just, so I throw a fastball. I think Scott Service hits a, a line drive over shortstop, scores a run, you know, and you, I got a blown, I got a blown save for that. So you're sitting there going, what? <laughs> so, I mean, those are, so those are situations, you know, the routine's different, but it's kind of like coming in, you know, in the eighth inning, they go, okay, you got one out, man on third base. The guy hits a ground ball to the second baseman. That guy scores, mm. ties the game up. Well, you didn't do your job. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so those are, those are, but those are the routines. The routine, to, to have that routine, you are so much. So I, I could tell you, I remember coming into a set in Houston where I had that situation come up and, one out of the eighth inning, they bring me in, man on third base. You got, I think it's Juan Piera, which that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, he's not a strikeout guy. So he's up. I remember coming up and I walked him. I literally pitched like, I mean, he was Babe Ruth. I did not pitch to him and put him on base because I, I yeah, I knew he was going to steal second. You know, but I was almost pitching myself to be in a, in a bases loaded situation. I remember getting out of it. I remember getting out of the situation on a double play, but I remember coming off um, and and Vern ruling them asking me, like, why? Why would you do that? I'm like, well, that's. I'm in a no win situation right here. I said, I, you know, I, you know, I did it in uh, at Dodger Stadium uh, one year. I called. I, I walked off now held up four fingers because Jeff Kemp was coming up I've got uh, Juan Pierre just gave me the bat of <laughs> hell and I, so I'm sitting here and he he's on first base he steals second base I wild pitch him over to third base and so and, and, and so now Jeff Kemp comes up and I'm like man well, this is no brainer I've got you know and I hate to say this no more but I had no more Garcia Parra on deck and I'm like I've got two outs. I'm not facing Jeff Kent, who I know personally, and I, you know, I'm going to go face no more. And sure. I end up striking out no more, but understanding how to put yourself in a situation to be successful. And so sometimes just, you know, 
living and dying with a decision and having the repercussion. I mean, I remember uh, Willie Randolph about to have a heart attack when I did that. He's like, I can't, why would you put the winning run on first base? Why would you do I'm like, because I'm, I'm trying to win the game. And, you know, in my mind, I'm going, I'm trying to win the game this way. I, that, that's not the way. I do not want to. I don't want to go out there and play extra innings. I want to get this guy out, and I got to get. I got to find. I've got two opportunities to find one guy and the next two hitters that I can get out. That's all I got to do. I got to figure those two guys out. So routine is a big thing, and and knowing who you got coming up, and so those play such a big part of you know that mindset. And when you're a seventh inning guy, I guarantee you you're not looking at who you got coming up. Mm-hmm. Nowadays they tell you who. You know, to be ready. For oh, the listen! Game. You get you get the iPad out. You get the you get the whole ball of wax. Yeah. So, but you know, it's this is when you're talking about this stuff. This is why baseball is awesome, man. Like it's because it's so much. There's so much that goes into it. There's so much that goes into every at bat. There's so much that goes into every at bat to lead to the next at bat to lead to the next at bat to lead to the next inning, whatever it is. But this is like this is why you know we we've talked a lot about this in this sort of baseballs and boring conversation. Everybody just slow down a bit. Understand that this is a pretty cool sport. Um, Speaking of pretty cool sports and speaking of routines, I should know this. Did you have a did you have a constant walk in music? I did. Okay, I, I, re- I did. It was Inner Sandman, which turned out to be the uh, biggest pain in the ass I've ever incurred and encountered in in my whole life. Just because you know everybody thought it was Mariano's song. I was in the National League and had no idea. This is before you really had cell phones. That's that's something. The internet was just a new thing. It was, you know, ESPN had just started. It hadn't been, you know, <laughs> really a big deal on TV. And so, I, I, Jeff Bagwell goes, "Hey, you need to play. You, you need some walk-up music because they've been playing George Strait's Call Me the Fireman." <laughs> and so, you know, and he was like, "That's terrible. That's terrible." So, you know, that's what he, he proposes. So he picks this. And it goes on, but you know, then all of a sudden you go to guess what? You come to play the you're in the New York Mets, and my own card. Oh man, it was. I mean, you had, you know, it was crazy. It was crazy to think about all the grief that I caught over a song. I mean, and if it wouldn't have been me being so hard I would have just said, you know what? We can change it. It's not that big a deal. But they made so much. I was like, Psh. but you had you had you had it first. You had it first. And that's from what I've understood. They said that's what I had at first. I mean, I don't know. I don't look into it that much. I remember uh, that being a huge discussion when I first got to New York. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I started, I was closing in uh, 96. And this is when I was getting, you know, I, I mean, this was pretty much how that was uh, described to me. And I'm, I'm going like, to, I'm going to say you had it first. I'm going to say you had it first, but so, so if, so take that out, take understanding me now, the equation, we, we've talked to Papelbon about this because, you know, he's going to always say he's, his is the top. Who, who, who had the best? Like, so, because obviously this conversation came up again this year with Edwin Diaz, Timmy, Timmy Trumpets, which was cool. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Yes, it was. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, I have heard some good ones, but his was, wow. I mean, but you know what makes that so awesome? The crowd. Yeah. You cannot have a good walk-off song if you've got, I mean, it's almost impossible to walk out to a great song when you've got, you know, 12,000 people in the stands. Now, I know it's a lot of people, but it's not in a stadium. Mm. But when you walk out and like Hell's Bells, Trevor, Trevor's was 
I mean, you know, <laughs> he, it, it put, I mean, I got goosebumps on me right now because it was, you know, in 98 when we are in the playoffs and he's, he's closing and we go out to Qualcomm and he's pitching and I mean, you hear that bell go off and I mean, you might, you might as well put our hitters in the dugout. Just say, just don't worry about it. You're done. It's over. I mean, it was so electrifying. That was a... And then, and then, and then I'll be honest with you. Paps was really, really good. Mm. Paps was I, I liked it. I mean, he 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 was the perfect loser <laughs> mentality. I, you know, I didn't know how me and Paps would get along when we got to Boston because the first thing he he never met me. I didn't know him. The very first thing he says about me in the papers that we don't need another old guy who <laughs> comes in here and broke down. And I mean, so. So, you know, and so I've known Veritech and I've known Josh Beckett for a long time. And so he walks in and, you know, he's nice. He walks in and says, hey, wait, and I go, well, hey, let me tell you something. You do your job, I'll do my job, and we'll worry about being old. Well, the best, the reason I was able to do that was because Danny Darwin was picked up by us back in, oh, 97, 98, yeah. somewhere in that same time. Well, they picked him up to be a setup man for me. This guy's twice my age, and I mean he is hard as can be. I mean he is tough. I, I'm, I'm already like intimidated. Oh, Doctor Death, Doctor Death! Oh, yeah. oh my God! And so he comes up, and you know he's all countries can be from Texas, and he's slang, and he's he is he looks at me and he goes, "Let me tell you something, you little shit. You do your job, and I'll do mine, and that's all you need to worry about." <laughs> yes, sir. I remember just going, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir." I mean, I didn't know if there was going to be punches thrown right there or not, but I was like, "Yes, sir." But it was, I mean, and that was, that was when, when Paps did that. And I had no, I, I told, I told Beckett and him that I was going to do that anyway. I said, I'm going to get this young pup. So I'm going to get him. <laughs> because, you know, unlike the guy he was talking about prior, I was all natural. So when I came back, I knew that I was going to be just as good. Yeah. I had no fear of that. And so when I came back, when he, when I came back, I'm going through that, I mean, I, his face, his face was priceless. <laughs> and I mean, it was just priceless. I mean, I wish, you know, at that time, I wish we'd have videoed this stuff and so we could have pranked him later. But it was just, I mean, but, but you know, um, I love you know, it. But I love Paps. I loved his intensity. I, you know, I love guys that ain't afraid to take the ball, win, lose, or draw. I mean, he was so much fun when he was in the bullpen. You get on the bus with him and, and David Ortiz, you, you, it is comedy central. I enjoyed every bit of it. He was a great teammate. And, you know, as, you know, I, you, there's just certain guys you're like, man, I would, I would set up that guy because he's a good dude. And, I, you know, I, I really like it. Flash Gordon did that for me mm. twice. Mm. He came to Houston. He came, and I've known uh, Flash for a little while. He, we called each other uh, brothers from another mother because yeah. we're so short and we did the same thing. But he told me, he goes, I came to Houston because you're, I'm a big fan of yours. Well, I go to Philly and we needed a set, man. And I, said, I told Charlie Mango, I said, hey, get Flash. You know, he's, and Flash came to Philly because I asked him to come to Philly. And I mean, that, you know, there's just, it's really unique how. You have that 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 bond, and guys that you know really appreciate each other. They're willing to do things, maybe that, that's not going to give them the credit. And I tell you, I, you know, that's for me going to, to set up for Paps and playing Boston <laughs> and stuff like that. That was, you know, I, my first game was in Boston. I'd ever watched when I played in Cape Cod League, so I was already in love with Boston anyway. And so to get to play in that setting and then 
I didn't care what they wanted me to do. I was, I was that that was a a big emotional thing for me. So Paps, you know, was you know, you know, I fell in love with his music anyway, and, and I just and getting to know him made it even better. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, Billy, hey, listen, man, you, you've been so generous with your time, and and I am going to uh, I am going to celebrate uh, when you walk on that stage. That uh, as a, as a Hall of Famer, because I know you're going to get there. You deserve to be there. Um, you know, uh, all I can do is is vote my one vote and have Shoeless Joe vote his one vote. And <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Which so. was awesome, by the way. DB that DB was so awesome. That was when when I saw that man, I, I was so touched by that because I was just like, I mean, who's not a fan of Eight Man Out? Right? <laughs> I mean, that was just phenomenal anyway. And Shoeless Joe Jackson, I mean, that was. <laughs> Epitome of just great baseball. Oh uh, yeah, well, like, like I said, I mean, you know, and and we talked a lot about it last week. Obviously, we released it, and DB was nice enough. I, I can't thank DB enough. I didn't know him at all, Billy. I mean, I didn't know him at all, but just had this idea, and he obviously latched onto it. But at the end of the day, I said, I said, listen, this whole thing, what we did that day, it was about what everything about baseball, which is, it's about history. It's about fun and it's about entertainment. Like, and that's what it was. And so, you know, this is this, this is what the Hall of Fame conversation's about too. I mean, there's all of it. So it's that's good. Awesome. I well, appreciate. I really appreciate you guys. I really enjoyed that. And I tell you, even if I guess you wouldn't have voted for me, I would have really enjoyed watching that. Before anything, before this is all said and done, I'm a big baseball fan. I love baseball regardless of you know and, and i love baseball because it is flaw it does have flaws it's not a perfect scenario it's it's mm-hmm. really lifelike and so that that in itself i really appreciate what you have me on here today and mm-hmm. and talking baseball and 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 you know give me my whole day set now i'm gonna feel good practice and it's 35 degrees so it's gonna be awesome so i, I really I, I really appreciate it well we're, we got a bunch of baseballs and boring t-shirts for your entire team coming down so so there you go. Oh, awesome. So, Fantastic. All right, Billy. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.